so much more than just a king. You are more than everything. So much more than a perfect day. You are more than I can say. And my words just fail me when I think of where I might have been. If you had not changed my way, you are more than I could say. As beautiful as the sunset over the ocean, as high as the trees growing up on the mountain, and as bright as the sun shining on a summer afternoon and as long as a memory lingers from those who them to serve no greater love there's no greater love than this for our lives He gave His And He took our sin and shame And He washed them all away As beautiful as the sunset Over the ocean And as high as the trees growing Up on the mountain and as bright as the sun shining on a summer afternoon, as long as a memory lingers from those who left to serve, more than all of these, for you are so much more. already on your feet, why don't you stand up, find somebody and tell them good
Good morning, everybody. It is uh, great to see you this morning. Grab your worship guide because you're going to need to look at some things going on today. We want to start, though, by praying. We have uh, about 80 people down in our student room this morning. Every uh, The beginning of the school year, Jeff uh, Bonin and Mark Dubose pull the kids aside that are going back, back into school, junior high and high school, and they spend a weekend trying to get them to focus on serving the Lord in their, on their campuses. That's called Ignition Weekend. And uh, I know we are always, that ministry has stuff going on all the time. That is intentional. So uh, there's about 80 of them down there right now. And, and uh, they're going to be right now getting into the Word, doing some worship, talking about this year. And then during the 11 o'clock hour, they're going to do the same. In fact, if you're a parent of a student, you're invited to join them during the 11 o'clock hour. Sneak out of your Bible study and head down to the student room. But uh, let's take a moment this morning before we get going here. And let's just pray that God blesses them and speaks to our students and our staff down there. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for what you have done, and we just saying we would not forget. <clears throat> and Lord, for many of us, uh, 
our, our initial times of growth, our initial surrender was done in school and vacation Bible schools and at retreats. And Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for our student ministry and our staff that continues uh, to call kids to discipleship. I thank you for the adults that pour into the lives of these students. And I thank you for this morning, Father, as they had breakfast together and they spent last night together. And now, Lord, for the next few hours, they're going to talk about what it means to, be, to simplify their Christian life and to share, to share you with others, to be missionaries on the campus. And, Father, this morning I pray for strength and courage for our staff. I pray for encouragement for our students. We pray, for our, Father, for, uh, as a church for a harvest of godly men and women that grow out of our discipling ministries. So for those who are there, uh, Lord, this morning that do not know you, may today be the day of salvation. Uh, for those that do, I pray for encouragement for them. Uh, we pray for strength for the staff, and we just pray that it would be a wonderful day down there as well as in here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So welcome here uh, as uh, we continue growing and discipling in our relationship with the Lord. We are going to be wrapping up this morning our time in 1 Samuel. Uh, and then jumping into 2 Samuel. So we'll be in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel and chapter 1 of 2 Samuel this morning. So if you're visiting with us, if you're watching on the internet, uh, if this is your home church, you may want to turn there and I'll catch up with you in a little while, but we'll, we'll join you there in a few moments. But I, I do want to highlight, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. Uh, our hope and our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus Christ having been with us. Um, that is the most important thing. Then, of course, we want you to love us, too. We want to build a relationship with you. And if God would uh, encourage you here, we'd love to have you get to know us better. In the month of September, for those of you who've been visiting with us, we have a new members class coming up. That date is, I think, in the worship guide somewhere, but you'll see more of it as it comes up. But if you're visiting with us, and I'd love to, after the service to shake your hand, Julie and I, we'll be up here. And uh, so come on up and, and take some courage and shake my hand. I promise not to give you a theological quiz. We'll just shake hands. Uh, in the worship guide, there's a few things that I want to highlight. Um, I, I already mentioned the parent time in the student ministry at 11 o'clock. If you have a junior, uh, a junior high or senior high student, uh, we would encourage you to sneak down there as they wrap up the ignition weekend. They want to make you a part of it during that hour. And uh, so that's at 11 o'clock, and the student ministry is right down the walkway. And uh, if you keep going, you'll run right into it uh, outside. Uh, I also want to mention... Um, that uh, we have had, uh, Sharon Kennedy has graciously put a table out in our welcome area and is registering people who are, are uh, not registered to vote or if you have a, an address change, um, she can do that for you. Uh, we, we are a apolitical church. Um, we are not conservative or liberal. We just think you need to be involved. Lots of griping and complaining going on in our country. And uh, I understand it's frustrating no matter what side of the aisle you sit on. Uh, but the truth is, uh, the only way you can make a difference is if you vote uh, and, and, or run for office. You can do that, too, and we'll celebrate that with you. But, but uh, you need to be involved. So if you are not registered to vote, that's the first step. Registration ends, I think, the middle of October. You have to be a month out. So uh, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to get involved. So if you have an address change, if you have not registered to vote, you can do that between services with Sharon Kennedy. She's out there this morning. She will be out here a couple more times before uh, the time is up. But uh, just get it done this morning uh, as we end service so you are prepared for that. Now, turning our face to ministry opportunities, I have a couple uh, neat things. Uh, we are having more and more people move into our community, and they're interested in Carpenter's Way. And periodically, we have people who need a ride. 
and uh, they'll call up here on a Wednesday or a Thursday to let us know we need a ride. And so we're trying to compile a list of people who would be willing to pick somebody up on the way to church and take them home after uh, if they live within three or four miles of the church or something. If you are interested in doing that, we're trying to, like I said, compile a list. You're not making a weekly commitment to it, but somebody that we could just call. Uh, and uh, if you'll take that guest registration card, actually in the worship center you'll, or in the worship guide, you'll see a line going over to it. Just fill your name out, and on the back it has a place for response. You can write that you're willing to drive, and we'll just put you on a list. Like I said, you may not hear from us for a few weeks, or you may hear from us next week. It depends on who calls and need to ride. But we would like to make this available to folks who otherwise wouldn't be able to get to church to encourage them. So um, anyway, so uh, that's that. I do have one other opportunity, and uh, I want to thank you. I heard from a lot of you last week who really enjoyed the video uh, about the gentleman who came to know Christ as a result of a public school teacher. And uh, there are lots of ministries that are taking place that are available to us right now because of the crisis, not just in our country, but in our world. Uh, we are in process, or our mission investment team, uh, and some of our elders are in process right now of, of looking at a ministry that may help us actually minister to refugees. Uh, and so uh, we're praying about that, and at the right time we'll present that to you. Uh, but there's another ministry local. I don't know if you're aware, but it is a huge percentage of our children live under poverty. Uh, I think it's like 70% that are fed at the local schools on a regular basis. Does somebody know the exact percentage? It's something, I mean, or maybe I'm off a little bit. It's, it's high. Uh, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really high, like around 68 to 70%. Um, and a lot of the children in our community come from single-parent homes. Uh, we are even aware of one child that's going to, that family just moved from China, and this young lady is going to be going to one of our elementary schools and doesn't speak much English because we've taught her her five words. Uh, Julie and I have gotten close with this family. And those kids are coming into the public school system, and the school system is always looking for ways in which we can help them feel uh, welcome and loved. And we have an opportunity this Wednesday. Uh, we have been invited. Nancy uh, Hicks was called uh, by the principal of, I'm going to mess this up here. Let me, let me look at this to make sure my information is right. It's right here. Oh, Bar, uh, Burley. Uh, they're looking, uh, the schools have begun the first day of school, which is Wednesday, trying to get people just to welcome the kids. In other words, I did this last year with the Angelina basketball team. I was the tall one. And uh, Basically, when the kids come on, we high-five them, we hug them, we make them feel at home like they're walking into a superstar event, and then they go right into the classes. Most of them, their parents uh, walking, are walking them in, and all we do is make them feel like it's the most important day of their life. <clears throat> the answer to the problem that ails us in our culture is Jesus Christ, but we also have the opportunity to bless people in our culture, and education helps these kids out of some of the poverty in which they live. You understand that, right? It, You've got to be able to read to do a job. And many of these kids are coming from homes where their parents are not educated. And we need to make them feel welcome. We need to love on them. <clears throat> there is a race problem in our country. We all know that, no matter where you sit on what aisle. The answer to that is walking on, moving on, loving people of every race, reaching out to them, hugging them. And you have an opportunity this Wednesday. <clears throat> um, this Wednesday at Burley and Slack, we're going to start at Burley, uh, we're going to love on kids as they walk on the campus. It's from 7 to 8.30, and if you are free, and I know that's some of you are working and you can't do that, uh, Julie and Annie and I are going to be on, on the campus, but if you're interested in just loving on kids, and, and again, all this is is high-fiving them as they walk through the line into the school. So it's, it's not teaching, it's not reading, it's just making them feel special as they walk on. Um, 
Sarah is uh, Nancy Hicks' daughter. She's back here. Sarah, will you after the service, will you come right up here? Up at the left, if you're interested, she will give you a, a sheet of information on where you need to be, where the school is. She's going to separate us between Burley and Slack. And this is just an opportunity to minister to kids. There is also an opportunity, as I talked to Nancy this week, we may end up adopting those schools. And I know many of you teach on different campuses. This is not that we love those kids more, but this was an invitation for us to participate, and we want to take that. So if you're, if you're interested this Wednesday morning from 7 to about 8.15 or 8.30, just to high-five kids and make them feel special, we would sure love to have you participate in that. Uh, like I said, Julie and Annie and I are going to be doing that, and if, if you're willing, right after the service, uh, Sarah Reed will be up here. That's Nancy's daughter. Most of you know her as Sarah Hicks. She'll be right up here and, and, and give you all that information. What? Sarah Allen, what did I say? Reed, whatever. They're all part of the same family. They sit in the back, just, just forgive me. This is why I don't say names. This is why I go, hey, man, how are you? Because I always mess your name up. Sarah, I'd like to apologize. Uh, please still give this morning. I don't know exactly what to say. <laughs> I said read. <laughs> okay. All right, if you want a smart pastor, you have to pay more. <laughs> All right. I, I think that does it for the announcements. Sarah, is there anything else I need to mention about that that they need to know? Okay. Sure love to have you involved. Ministry opportunities. Be praying this morning as we continue through our service. Uh, be praying for our student ministries. Uh, Jesus Christ is the core of the answer to people's issues. And I hope you're seeing that more and more. And uh, so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time, as they do. If you're visiting with, the, with us this morning, I just want to be clear. This is how we support missions. We are involved with the Southern Baptist Convention and their mission program. That represents about 6,000 uh, missionaries globally. We also have 14 or 15 mission groups and individuals that we support as a church. Uh, these offerings go to pay the light bill, to pay the staff. That's what these monies go for. And having said that, if you're visiting with us, we ask that you not give. This is for those of us who attend here regularly. We're just glad you're here. Just pass the plate as it comes by. We're glad you're here. And now we're going to turn our face towards worship, towards the Lord, and what he has to say to us out of 1 Samuel. So thanks for being, us, being with us this morning. Lord, we love you, and, and we are honored to uh, be planted by you on the mission field of East Texas to share you with others. And Lord, our ministry is not just uh, when we go on short-term mission trips. Uh, we thank you for the safety you gave our Guatemala team that they came back last weekend uh, and safely, and they're with us this morning. And we thank you for uh, our team that came back from Brazil safe. But Father, there's work to be done here. There's work to be done in this building with, with people who come here regularly. There's, there's work to be done with those in this community who, who may be afraid to walk into this place or into the churches. And uh, there are kids, Father, in broken homes, and we need to love them, Lord. Uh, we need to be among them. And I thank you for the opportunities that, that reveal themselves to us. And uh, one is this Wednesday, and, and uh, we ask, Father, that we would rise to the occasion and be willing to serve you. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful that that, that matters because you loved us first. And now, oh Lord, as we take our offering, we thank you for those that we'd be able to partner with uh, mission work across the globe and in this community, uh, here in this church. We ask you to bless it, bless those who give this morning. Uh, we pray that you would uh, return many-fold the, 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 the monies that they're giving and, and bless them for, for their faithfulness and their trust in you. And Lord, just uh, we ask you to... Uh, Bless us in our time in the Word this morning, and I, I, I pray that the things that I want to share would fade away, the words I use would fade away, so the words of God would endure forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I find my shelter in you, my God. And there you give me rest. You are my refuge and my safe place. My strength is in your name.
Why don't we, why don't we talk to that holy God? Lord Jesus, uh, we carry into here this morning uh, burdens, distractions, life. Uh, we're all just trying to do the best we can, Lord. And uh, the truth is, you taught us a different way, but that way takes trust. And we struggle with trusting in you. We want to believe what we feel is true, so we need help from on high to see the difference. So I ask you this morning as we get into this tough text that uh, you would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In uh, my weekly study prep uh, for our time together, I see stuff in the text that I get really excited about, and I, I get excited to show you. And actually, most of the time, it's fairly easy to figure out the way in which, uh, in which to do that, but, but sometimes... Sometimes I'm afraid that it's so big and, and so conceptual in my brain that I'm not going to be able to put it in a way that you understand. And, and this morning is one of those. Uh, this morning is one of those times that I need you to really put your brain in gear and, and look at this with me because this morning's message actually, it, it's the end of 1 Samuel. Uh, and, and I'm going to mention this again later, but I want you to see First and Second Samuel. And I want to remind you that, that there are actually two books in the Hebrew Bible, or one book in the Hebrew Bible. We've separated the two for various reasons. But the first Samuel is actually about the nation, the Hebrew nation's rejection of God, and how the, what the cost of that is. Uh, the second Samuel is God restoring the nation. And you'll see all of those things, you'll see one end this morning, and you'll see one begin, and I'll show you that. But I kind of want to get your brain in that place, because I, I want you to see the practicality of this book. I've had quite a few of you write me uh, recently or tell me that you're shocked at how relevant 1 Samuel has been to where you live. And uh, I, I guess I'm, I, too, I, too, am surprised at how these people are so much like us. But I guess I shouldn't be surprised because we talk all the time about how people haven't changed, just technology has. I mean, people's hearts are still self-centered. People are drawn to feed their flesh. People are drawn to do what they think is right. Um, but the truth is that these people over there back in the day that we study, we kind of want to isolate them and say, wow, that was how silly are they or those people are unique, but they're just not that unique. Uh, that unique because our responses to a God that we also know is real is really just like theirs for instance uh, some of us in this room clearly are like Saul you're religious you're aware of the reality of God but wanting so badly or fearing so badly of not having control that you just you only attribute parts of your life to God that are spiritual and that you deem such and then there's others of us in this room that are like David. You have a personal, intimate relationship with God that comes out of pain and experience, but you've learned to trust Him, and you have decided that He's going to be your shepherd no matter what happens. That's David. Um, if you haven't turned there, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 31, where I want you to wait for me, because in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it gives us some context of where we are now. I want to remind you that what we're reading about in 1 Samuel 31 is not about one guy, one king who dies. This is the story of Saul dying. This is the story of a nation who did this. 1 Samuel 8. The elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss this mat the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, 
You are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. Verse 10, so Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take the best from your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated the, what the Lord, uh, to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, Do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed, and he sent the people home. So God gave them King Saul. And in Saul, they got exactly what God said that they would. Saul was religious, but he was not surrendered. He was not righteous. Saul was a Hebrew, but he wasn't a faithful Hebrew. And we've seen together over this past uh, eight months or so that he only invoked the name of God when it benefited him. He did not invoke the name of God when things were difficult. What Paul wrote in Galatians 6, uh, 6 and 7, you're going to see played out in this morning's text. Don't be misled, Paul wrote. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. In today's text, we're not just talking about Saul reaping and harvesting. We're talking about a whole nation reaping and harvesting. We're talking about a whole group of people who willfully reject, knowing full well that he's God, who willfully reject his authority and take things into their own hands. This is a somber text. 1 Samuel 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Milkishah. The, the fighting grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. As recently as the days before this battle, you recall that Saul was not getting a response from God that he wanted, so he actually looked for a witch that he had outlawed, the witch of Endor, in order to raise the dead Samuel to give him guidance and direct it. Despite being warned as a nation also many times that if they do not remain faithful to God, they will not only lose their lives, but they will lose their land. The people move forward, and this is the result of that choice. Because of Saul's sin, three of his four 
three of four of his sons are killed, including Jonathan, who was David's protector and, and arguably his best friend. He's killed as well. And you remember just a couple chapters ago when, when Jonathan told David that he was actually going to become king and that when he became king, he wanted to help him serve that kingdom. But he's dead now because of his dad's choices. I want to start by saying that, that no matter what you believe, facts remain. Facts don't care at all what you think or what you feel. And the fact remains that there's no such thing as secret sin. There's no such thing as secret decisions. Because everything we do as it relates to righteousness or sinfulness has an impact on people around us. And even within the church, we continually try to think that that's my business, not yours. But the fact remains that your spiritual health or weakness affects everybody around you, from your children to your spouse to your church to your nation. It affects us. If you are listening this morning and you're living in rebellion against God, you will reap that. But it's not too late to turn. In fact, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says this, Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish every thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for He will forgive generously. No matter what your sin is, no matter what your struggle is, no matter how big or how small, no matter how private or how public, it is not too late to turn to God. The story of 1 Samuel does not have to be your story. You do not have to reap the harvest of pain and death and destruction that sin grows. Run to God today, I beg of you. That is part of my job. Run to God. It isn't worth it. It is not going to work out. At some point, every one of us is going to be on our deathbed. And for children of God, if you live half-hearted Christianity, you will still fear death. You will hope that He's as merciful as we have said. You do, not have to live, you do not have to live in fear. You can live for God. You can live trusting. You can live hopeful. But it's going to take courage. The courage of David. Run to God. Don't be like Saul who after being warned by the dead Samuel in 1 Samuel 28, today you and your sons will be with me. I want to remind you of the weird periods of time between God warning and prophecy and even with Samuel, with Saul here. It is so strange that when Samuel sees Saul, he doesn't say, you're toast, you'll be with me now, and he doesn't drop dead. Why doesn't God kill him there? Because he has time to repent. When the angels go into Sodom and Gomorrah, despite the fact that they don't repent, he still gives them a day, 24 hours to repent. The reason that God has not made you pay for your sin yet is because he's giving you an opportunity to run to him. Why in the world do you want to deal with your own sin? Life is scary. That's what sin introduced. Life is unnerving. Politics are crazy. Culture is weird. People want to kill us. People want to hurt us. You get sick. All of this stuff that makes us scared. There's never enough money. The fact remains that we can put those at the feet of God if we will just trust Him to guide us and to lead us. Run to Him while He may be found. Please, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to live like this. Saul could have run to God, but he didn't. The nation that had rejected God could have run to God for help, but they don't. 
And they're now reaping the harvest of those decisions. 1 Samuel 31.4, Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul committed suicide. So Saul took his own life and fell on it. So that's how it ended. I, look, I, I know life goes on between each week. It would be wonderful if we could sit here and actually be very long. But it would be awesome if we could kind of sit here and read the whole story together. But the truth is, this is sad. <laughs> it's really, really sad. I mean, it's, Saul was actually a relatively successful king. I'll, I'll read that to you in a moment. But it didn't have to be like this. Do you realize that? It didn't have to be like this. Because of his rebellion, because of his arrogance and his pride, which is really stupid. Why would we let pride, and we see it all over the place. We see people who continually be self-destructive because I can handle this. Sometimes you can't. Actually, you never can. You need God. And the church, I think, even tries to help you be self-sufficient without Him. There is no self-sufficiency. You and I need God. We need Him. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. You know it in the King James, there is a, right that, a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of destruction. That's that verse, but in the New Living. Forgive me, uh, you don't have to put it up there. I messed him up, I didn't finish. So Saul takes his own life and falls on his sword. Verse 5, when the armor bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died because of the king. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and his troops all died together that same day. What a tragedy. What a travesty. It didn't have to be like this. But this is what it looks like to harvest from a life of sin and selfishness. This is what that looks like. This is the eventual harvest of sin in a life. And you know that's true. The truth is, if you smoke long enough, you're going to get lung cancer. If you chew tobacco long enough, you're going to probably get cancer of the lip. You shouldn't be surprised when it happens. If you eat fried foods every day, at some point, Kevin Hudson's going to be your best friend. That's how this works. Nobody wants to be best friends with a cardiologist, but Kevin, you're a good man. Nobody wants to spend their time in the hospital having a balloon put in their chest. But if bacon is your favorite meat, that's how it works. There is an effect of the cost. What a way to go, right? It's a funny joke. But we do that not just with food. We do that with our flesh. And as much as we look at Saul in this story and go, what a sinful jerk, the truth is you have to understand that the guy thought he was doing what was best for himself and his people. He thought that by pushing back on God's plan to re replace him with David that he could keep his legacy alive. I mean, that's stupid because you can't fight God, but he thought he could. You see, the problem with Saul isn't that he was absolutely in his brain going, I hate God, I'm going to do this. It's that he actually thought he was doing what was best for his family. He was just rejecting the truth that was told him continually by the priests and the prophets and David and Jonathan and everybody around him. There is a path before each person that seems right, but the end is death. Verse 7, when the Israelites on the other side of the Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled, Wow, these were the people that left Egypt with the wealth of the Egyptians. 
When he saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled as well. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. Now get this. If this hasn't moved you yet, pay attention to what happens here. The next day, when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons at Mount Gilboa. So they cut off Saul's head, stripped off his armor. They proclaimed the good news. Guess what that phrase is right there if translated into Greek? It's the word gospel. They proclaimed the gospel of Saul's death in their pagan temple and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of, uh, of the Asterisk, and they fa- fastened his body to the wall of the city and Beth Shan. So this, get this. The nation of Hebrews that were supposed to be the place, the people, where God did supernatural things all the time. Egypt, the, the Egyptian, and the interaction with Pharaoh and the ten plagues was supposed to be stage one of God proclaiming himself and introducing himself to the world. This was the nation that the world was supposed to go, why are they so powerful? How do they win in war? And they were supposed to say, because we have Jehovah on our side. This nation had so turned their back on God that, when, that when, uh, when this happens, they actually endorse the asterisk goddess, the goddess of sexuality, and they go and worship her. And what they're doing by putting his head in there and his armor before her is saying, thank you, asterisk, for defeating Jehovah. There are no secret sins. The truth is that sometimes we wonder what's going on in our country when I don't know. Again, I looked him up this week, but I forget. It's like 60, just under 60% of Americans claim to be born-again believers. And 75 or 80%, it's huge, claim to be Christians. 50-something claim to be actual born-again, have a born-again experience. You understand that if that were being lived out in people's lives, abortion wouldn't even be a conversation today. None of this would be an issue. We keep thinking. We keep thinking that, that if we just... If we simply fight these things politically, that it's going to change culture. I got news for you. If you outlaw abortion, if you outlaw homosexual marriage, if you outlaw homosexuality, it'll just be a new sin tomorrow. You see, you can't outlaw sin because our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know what the Old Testament says? But I know it says the Lord who has made heaven and earth. I love AA. I appreciate AA. I think Bill Wilson is a hero and was a godly man. But if you replace alcohol with something just as empty it's just a replacement of your self-medication you need god the creator of the universe who built within us a vacuum so we desire him no matter what you replace your your drug with food smoking religiosity self-righteousness anger bitterness political movement all of those things will just create a new rage within you You see, Satan doesn't care if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict. He only cares that you're not surrendered to the Lord. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care if you go to church every week. He just cares that you don't take God seriously. He wants us like Saul, not like David, who went, what's going on, God? I'm going to trust you anyway. And as a result of their self-centered nature, you have the gospel of the Asheroth being proclaimed throughout the land now. They brought shame to the name of God. Verse Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. 
That's why your marriage is falling apart. Well, you don't know who I'm married to. You're demanding your rights. I hate this country. Do you know what they did to me? You're demanding your rights. This country has done a lot of good and a lot of bad. We all agree on that. Put your politics aside. Dumb things have been done. Evil things have been done. And at times, they stamped a cross on it to make themselves feel better about it. Many of you remember growing up in a white East Texas church, and when a black family came in, they were told of a better church down the street for their kind. That's not that far removed from us. Don't look at, I'm not slamming Southerners. I grew up in Southern California. We had the same thing, only it was Asians. With the Vietnam War ending, I remember growing up in a church that taught that God doesn't want you intermarrying with those kind of people. It may not have been blacks where I grew up, but prejudice exists in the heart of every man, every woman, and every child. Our job is to see people from God's point of view, to be compelled to serve them because God loves them, not because you love them. I'm a little tired of that. Well, I'm asking God to help me love them. Who cares if you love them? Your love does nothing for them. God's love does everything for them. Love them anyway. There's a story, and, and, and the truth is there was a book, and I, I really need to find it. I know some of you know it, and you need to send it to me. But there's an article written by a Lutheran pastor who was asked to minister to the heads of the Nazi, uh, the Nazi war machine before they were hanged or shot. They were imprisoned during the Nuremberg trials. And he writes of how much he hated them, and some got saved. We are here as messengers of reconciliation. We no longer look at people from a human point of view. We talked about this last week. We are here to tell them that there is a creator of the universe who loves them, regardless of their socioeconomic status, their, their, uh, their color of their skin, uh, our experience with them, regardless of their sexual orientation. You see, the gospel is salvation through faith in Christ as a result of his grace alone. It's not and the church. I understand some of you are watching on the internet because your chosen sins or the things you feed your flesh with are not accepted by the church. I get that. And you're mad about it. But I'm here to tell you that the church could never save you in the first place. Run to God, then come to the church and fix us. But you've got to use Scripture. You can't just make stuff up. Jealousy, gluttony, slander, gossip, Rebellion against parents, over, drinking too much, homosexuality, it'll always be a sin. If the whole world today decides that none of those are sin or one of those aren't sin because that's just how we are, it won't change it. Because the problem is, it's not you and I that get to decide what's a sin and what's not a sin. It's the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the judge before whom we will stand. You see, that's what we forget. And I'm even talking about us as Christians. We forget that one day we will stand before God. And 90 years of life living the best you can without him does not solve that. Uh, following Mark Wilkie or whoever you do who convinced you that they're right but not knowing it from Scripture does not make me right. You're accountable for truth and it's before you. And the truth is you can't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from a sinful nature. But we're not done. Paul goes on at the second half of verse 8, and he said, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get, get tired of doing what's good. Do you know why he said don't get tired of doing what's good? Because it's tiring. 
Verse 9, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. 1 Samuel 31, verse 11. But when the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors traveled through the night to Beth-shan and took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh, where they burned the bodies. Then they took the bones and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. So the first half of Galatians, we see, uh, we see in chapter 31. We see the people reaping what they've harvested. We see the king reaping what he's harvested. We see the nation reaping what he's harvested. But there were a group of people over at the small town of Jabesh-Gilead who had heard that their, ar their army had been defeated. They had heard that Saul had been killed. And it was time to right the wrong. They realized the tragedy of what was taking place, so they seek, sneak by night across the enemy's lines into enemy territory, and they steal the bodies of Saul and his boys from the wall, upon which they hung their headless bodies, and they prepare them to be buried honorably. And I don't want to go into all that, because you know. Uh, but the fact is that there wouldn't be time. A Jewish burial was a two-year process, basically. They would take the body, they would prepare the body, they would put it in a tomb. Remember the story of Jesus, they would lay it on there. A year later, when the skin was gone and, the, and all of the fat was gone and it was just bones, they would then take those bones and put, put them into a small case about this big, and they would pick them into a different room. That's how Jewish burials took place. Because of the situation at hand, they have to hurry the process. So they burn the bodies and they collect the bones. They don't, it's, it's, not, it's not complete uh, annihilation like it's today when you burn a body. It's just to, down to bones. And they do this so that they can put it in a small box and bury it under a tree. And one day, when the nation would come back, they would then get those bones and put them in a proper burial. That's what this is about. But I want you to concentrate on verse 13. Then they took the bones and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. The phrase, uh, the, the last part of that, seven days, tells us something interesting. If they just would have fasted, we could take that maybe they were just mourning the death of this, of this family. But the fact that they fasted for seven days tells us they were going beyond mourning into repentance. You see, seven-day fasting was the period at which you asked the Lord to forgive you for past sins. What you're observing here in this behavior is that they are repenting. Repentance isn't feeling sorry because you got caught in an adulterous relationship or the police pulled you over speeding and found cocaine on your dashboard. That's not repentance. That's sorrow. And it happens every time you're caught. Ask any kid cheating on an exam. Repentance is, it is actually changing the way you live. And these guys sneaking by night into the enemy camp to right this wrong, to take the bones of the kings and his family in order to prepare them for a proper burial at a later time, that's repentance. Seven days of prayer, seven days of fasting. These guys are turning back. If the first Samuel is about a nation rejecting God, it ends with a nation reaping the harvest that comes from that. Actually, it ends with a group of mighty warriors from, from this small town, Jabesh Gilead, who actually begin the process of healing for the nation. There's just a little bit of hope. I got news for you. It doesn't matter how grievous your sin, how bad the destruction, how big the nuclear bomb that has already taken place in your life. It doesn't matter how tragic, how tragic your parents' situation was. You can still run to God. You can run to Him. You can repent. You can ask Him to heal you, and He will be found. Christian, this isn't just for the unsaved. This is for you. 
there's like an attitude in the church that Jesus loves you so much before salvation, but after salvation, you better not screw up. I got better news for you. After salvation, he knows exactly who you are. Run to him. Run to him. 2 Samuel 1, verse 1. If 1 Samuel is about a nation rejecting God and the ramifications of that, then 2 Samuel is the painful, grueling process. Please take note of that. The painful, grueling process of God hearing this prayer of repentance and the beginning of restoring this nation. Verse 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. Does that give you a mental picture of the time frame? Remember, he went off. Remember, he went back. He was refused. The Philistines wouldn't allow him to fight with them against the Hebrews. So David and his boys are pouting, and they go back to Ziklag. They get to Ziklag, and they find that the Amalekites have defeated them, completely burned down the city, and captivated, uh, captured their women and children. So David tells his men, who are rebelling against him, remember, they wanted to overthrow him at that point. He tells them, we're going to avenge this. We're going to make it right. Let's go after our women and children. So they take off. God leads them to an Egyptian servant that was sick. He leads them to the Amalekites. They defeat him. They come back, and that's where this picks up. On the third day, back in Ziklag, so they're rebuilding the city probably, on the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from, David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. So here's a question. Why is this man going to David? Because he's the next king. Just like God promised. So follow this. They harvested the destruction that sin causes. A group of faithful Jews over in this small town start to make it right. And part of that is they fast and pray and repent. And then God sends a messenger to David. He fell to the ground in, uh, fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Verse 3. Where have you come from, David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened, David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. The man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead, and Saul and Jonathan are also dead. How do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? Is that a real question or what? I do not want you to read this like it's Bible verses. The first thing you find out when somebody tells you that your loved one is dead is you go, how do you know? That's what he asked. I mean, David's invested. David demanded of this young man, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? The man answered, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa and there was Saul leaning on his sword, on his spear, when the enemy chariots and charioteers closing in on him. When he turned and he saw me, he cried out for me to come to him. How can I help? I asked him. He responded, who are you? I'm an Amalekite, I told him. Then he begged me, come over here and put me out of my misery for I am in terrible pain and I want to die. So I killed him. The Amalekite told David, for I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and his armband, and I have brought them here to you, my Lord. <laughs> There's a discrepancy in stories now, isn't there? This turns out not to be a Hebrew. He's an Amalekite. This Amalekite was obviously trying to curry favor with David by being a killer of his enemy. But did you notice that he hedged his bets? Because he doesn't badmouth Saul in case David is sympathetic towards him. He just basically says, when I saw him, you know, I helped him. I, he asked me to kill him. I killed him. So in case David is glad he killed him, he rewards him. And if he's sympathetic towards it, he's doing what Saul wanted him to do. Not being a Philistine, it's most likely that this guy was a scrounger. In other words, he would sneak in late at night 
or at times when the Philistine army wasn't there stealing off the bodies of the dead, and he himself would look for wealth. While scrounging, he came upon a gold mine, four bodies, Saul and his three of four sons. He finds them, and he thinks to himself, if I take this to the next king, if I take this to the next Hebrew ruler, I'll win. It doesn't go as planned. Verse 11. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted. Wow. Okay. They fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel. The nation is turning back to God, starting with a small group of warriors in Jabesh Gilead. Now David and his men turned to God in their mourning. They turned to God and they fast for Saul, his family, the warriors, and the nation. Then David said to the young man who had brought the news, Where are you from? And he replied, I'm a foreigner, an Amalekite, who lives in your land. Why are you not afraid to kill the king, uh, to kill the Lord's anointed one? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point the Amalekite goes, this is not going the way he thought it would. Then David said to one of his men, Kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You have condemned yourself, David said, for you yourself confess that you killed the Lord's anointed one. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that, he be, that it be taught to the people of Judah. It is known as the Song of the Bow, and it is recorded in the book of Jashar. Verse 19. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath. Don't proclaim it in the streets of the Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice and the pagans will laugh in triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fruitful fields producing fruits offerings of grain. For their shield of the mighty heroes have defiled, was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. The bow of Jonathan was powerful and his sword of Saul did its mighty work. They shed the blood of their enemies and pierced the bodies of mighty heroes. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing, in garments decorated with gold. O how the mighty heroes have fallen. The theme of this Davidic psalm, not in the book of Psalms, but in another book of songs that the Jews kept, is actually themed on O how the mighty heroes have fallen. And this is what that looks like. This is what that looks like. Keeping, keeping it real now. Here are some interesting facts uh, about David that, that I observed this week. Even though Saul was a bad servant of God, he was a great warrior and had many accomplishments as king. 1 Samuel 14, 47 and 48 says this. Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction against Moab, Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he was victorious. He performed great deeds. Why did I point that out? Because I think it's really, really important that we understand that sometimes rebellious people succeed. Actually, all the time at some point. For a while, it works. And I want you to understand here that, uh, that, that as we read these stories, we talk about white-hatted people and black-hatted people, good people and bad people. I want you to understand that to the nation, Saul was a great warrior. David was a better warrior. Remember that song? David kills his, or Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his tens of thousands. Please understand that the wicked do win for a while. 
But that doesn't mean that they will not reap among themselves a harvest of their sinfulness. Second of all, even though Saul had been chasing David to kill him for over a decade, David still loved and respected Saul as God's anointed king and it grieved him to see him fall and die. Your enemies are not your enemies. They're God's enemies. Let him avenge them. Let him deal with them. David still wept when Saul was killed, despite the fact that for 10 years Saul wanted him dead. Thirdly, David loved the Hebrew people. And finally, David loved and mourned Jonathan. And I want to point that one out because there's a lie going around today that that makes them homosexual. It does not. The King James Version has a line in this psalm that says that David loved Jonathan more than he loved women. There is zero evidence from any of this. And I'm, I'm, for those of you who aren't in this discussion, just bear with me a minute, but I need to say this. There's a Hebrew word for love. It's one word like in the English version. And if you have ever been to war, you know that there's a love relationship between warriors. David and Jonathan were best friends, and they loved each other, but that does not mean they're gay. Jesus, at the Last Supper, had the disciple he loved leaning against his chest. That makes them Jewish and Middle Eastern. It does not make them gay. No matter how hard you try. Now look, I always talk about reaching out and pointing people to Jesus who are homosexuals and have same-sex attraction. I understand. It's real and it hurts. But you have to understand that trying to change the Scriptures do not... You can even change the Bible. You know, um, hold on, let me think for a second. Thomas Jefferson rewrote the New Testament because he didn't believe Jesus was God. It doesn't change who Jesus is. He removed every supernatural reference to Jesus Christ, including the resurrection. doesn't stop him from raising from the dead. I want to remind you, no matter who you are or what you're struggling with, but if you're running from God or the church because you don't like God's teaching, you're missing the point. The church cannot save you. God is the judge. You will stand before him one day. Every one of us will stand before him one day. And it will not be an elder council of people you know and like. It will not be a deacon group. It will be God, and he will not bend his rules. You are only saved by his mercy and his grace. That's all you have going for you. You may be attractive. You may be rich. You may be nice, but you are still fallen. No matter what your struggle is, and trying to change the Bible to make it sound better for your group will not solve the problem because what your group feels and thinks and wants doesn't change the facts. We're talking about a holy God. And if you want the definition of sin in Scripture, it has nothing to do with sex. It says anything that takes God's place in your heart, including right-wing, angry, angry political Christianity. If that is your God, you're worshiping the wrong thing. You are more like Saul than David. The difference between Saul and David is Saul accredited God his work when things went his way. David, even in the face of not being able to do what he wanted and being in the cave, if you read the Psalms, continually looked up into heaven and said, but I will trust in your unfailing love. That's the difference between a genuine child of God surrendered to the Lord and somebody who's playing games. 1 Chronicles 10, 13, and 14. So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command and even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. So the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. 
Wow. There's not a verse we throw out there very often. But that's God summarizing what happened. Please don't let Satan distract you um, as to what this story is about. It's not really about a king. It's, it's not about a group of people who don't surrender to God. It's just about folks. His task may be enormous in your thinking. And they may be patriarchs of Scripture and characters in the Bible, but I want you to understand that the things the Lord asks of you are no different than what He asks from them. And the consequences will be just as grave to you and your family. If you're like Saul, I beg of you, as God begs us from Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He's near. Look, all the other stuff, how the church treats women, sexual abuse in the Catholic church, the view, church's view on homosexuality, none of that is going to have any impact on your eternity. All that matters is what you do with God. And God personally, the creator of the universe, the lawgiver, the moral code one, invites you to run to him. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to your God, for he will forgive generously. If you're on wife number 12, run to God. If, if, you are, if you are just getting off being laced with drugs, run to God. God could never forgive me. No, no, no. Your wife won't forgive you. The church may not forgive you, but God will always forgive you. And that's all that matters. And church, we better get over ourselves. Because we're a lot more like Saul. As I read this, I see a lot more of Saul in us than David. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. We say, don't let them persecute us. I get it. I don't want inconvenience. I don't want pain. But what if he does? What if his plan for me is difficult and challenging? And what if I have to live in a cave for 10 years? That's what David did. Galatians 6 through 10 is fact. It has happened. It is happening. It's even happening to our nation right now. I do not believe God is sending fire down from heaven on our country. Okay? I, he doesn't need to. He just needs to stand back and watch us kill ourselves. What's happening in the world, it's not just happening in our country, it's happening all over the world. You can't even mention homosexuality from pulpits in, in Canada right now without going to jail as a pastor. What's happening in, around our globe is the consequence of not taking God seriously. It, it's what happens. It happened in this story. It's happening today around us. You know it. You see it. It's happening in our nation. And it will happen in the future. Don't be misled. You can mock the justice of God. You, can always, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. If your marriage is, is tough, your kids are watching how to treat their spouse. It doesn't go away. One of you is going to have to humble yourself. Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Fight for your kids. Please. Fight for your kids. I know it's not popular today, but raise your daughter to be a godly woman. We have a Sunday night small group for newly married couples, and if you're newly married or think you're newly married, you're, you're join, welcome to join us. It's in our house every Sunday night at 5. Bring food. 
Um, but I pleaded with them last week. I, I said, we need to get back to finding spouses for our kids into church. Where we have the same worldview and we have the same commitment to God and worship. We've got kids right now at GPS and we've got hundreds of children that go through our ministries every week here. Our goal isn't just raise them to be happy or successful Americans or, or good patriots. Our goal is to raise men and women whose hearts belong to God. And if your child is 18, it's not too late. If your child is 18, it's not too late. If your marriage is on the way to the divorce doctor, it's not too late. How do I change it? Do exactly what the mighty warriors of Jabesh Gilead did. Face the fight, admit what's wrong, and repent. Well, my spouse is a jerk, and it doesn't matter. It was, it's about pleasing the Spirit. Did you see that in the text? Kevin, is it possible to put verse 8 up there, the second half of that? I, I know I'm asking you to do something out of ordinary, but... But those who live to please the Spirit, not themselves, not their pastor, not their church, not their convention, but the Spirit. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross, put your selfish desires aside and follow me. And I, I don't claim to know. I, I, have a, I have a good marriage, at least today. I'm, I'm blessed with where my kids are at right now. But I've harvested a lot of crap from stupid things I've done, little seeds that nobody knew I was planting. And I'm paying the price for mistakes of my generation's past, of my family. But I have a choice. There's a time at which we say, I'm going to be the change maker. I'm now not going to live for myself. I'm going to live to please God. We talked about Bill Wilson earlier. It's a 12-step program. And at the foundation of that, he talks about exchanging alcohol for something else. And, and, and I've, I've been involved in, in programs with guys who are struggling through it. Alcohol was never my issue, and drugs were never really my issue. But I had the privilege of ministering to guys through it. And, and some guys replace, uh, you know, they talk about a higher power, and some guys replace it with a, a Harley Davidson. I've known guys who have done that. Or, or a hobby. Some people replace it with devout Christianity. And i got a warning for you. It needs to be God and God alone. You need God. Whether you're in a 12-step program or should be, you need God. God is the one. Jesus Christ is the only answer to the problems that we face. Well, what if he doesn't? How is Jesus going to fix our country politically? It's not about fixing our country politically. It's about living to please the Spirit even when things are crazy. If you don't, you're like Saul. If I don't, I'm like Saul. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like the unnamed people in Jabesh Gilead this morning than Saul. Even if it means I have to go into enemy's territory and it's dangerous. I am the biggest wimp in this room. I want to live that was me doing, it doesn't matter. 
I, I want to live, I, I live a good life. I want to try out the new seats at the mall movie theater and buy a big bucket of popcorn with too much butter on it. And I want to watch a romantic comedy that brings joy to my life. And I want to go home and I want to sit in my beautiful house and I want to enjoy my family and I want grandkids after they're married. And I want a church that's as beautiful as I am. And a building with, with more bathrooms than we have now. I'll pay, amen. Well, then give. You will reap what you sow. Let's close in prayer. I, I, I want all the same things you do. I like to have so much money in my pocket that I sweep my truck out just because I have money to waste. I don't go on dirt. I, I keep it clean. Like most of the guys in town that lift their trucks, they keep them clean because they put so much money into them. I want all the same things you do. But it will only lead to what Saul's led to. And you know that. There's never enough money. There's never enough stuff. And then I pass down to my children that the most important thing is the truck or the money or what I need to do is pass down that the most important thing is a personal, intimate submission to a living God. And they will not get that from Sunday morning preaching and Sunday school and student ministry. They will only get it from a mom and dad who live it and who are willing to walk into the enemy's camp to do the right thing. And by the way, I know it's hard. It's hard for me, and I'm a professional Christian. So it must be really hard for you. But God loves to fix hard things. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to be quiet for a moment so you can talk to your dad. You know what you need to say. You don't need me to tell you, so I'm going to be quiet. And then I'm going to talk to him, and we're going to close in prayer. I'm sorry, Father, for marrying my wants and my flesh with Christianity. When it's God plus me, it really is just me. So I pray that like John prayed, I would be less and you would become greater. Thank you for telling us that we can still cry out to you today. I pray that we would and our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. Uh, have a great afternoon. Uh, if you're a parent of a teenager, a student, junior in high school, you can sneak down to the student room. Uh, that's for you this morning as well.